What a song. And when you, when you hear the story of, of Isaac or Jacob or Abraham or whatever his name was uh, behind it, what happened one of the services, I, I said, I think his name's Isaac, right? And, and I said, first time I referred to him, I referred him to Isaac. Then the next time I referred to him as Jacob. So now I'm just saying Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob or whatever his name was. Um, to hear him talk about that, and how he, you know, and, and to hear the lyrics of that song, and if you needed me to stay up all night, I would have, and I would, I, I would want to be there. It, I just thought it was just, just really a powerful lyric uh, and song, and of course, um, as always, incredibly performed by our by our guys. But it brings to light this first thing that we we have to start somewhere with this, and I want to begin by just saying, none of us here are going to be unfamiliar with the fact that there is such a thing as lost causes. People who, 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 who might be lost causes. Now, let me caution you to say we don't know for sure if, it's really, if that person's really a lost cause as long as they're alive. But we can say that. At least we can feel that. So when we start thinking about this whole thing of how to save a life, the first thing we have to start with is to recognize that life will produce what seemed to be, at the time, lost causes. I was talking with George Washington yesterday, General Washington. We were talking, and, and he w- we were talking about some bit different battles. I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, this guy has flipped out. He's... He's talking to his history books. But no, I met George yesterday uh, at Washington's Park, which is right over here in Greenbrook. And we, it's, I, one of my, it's a great place because I, I love going there because it's where Washington literally used to, to watch for the, 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 the British troops and see if they were coming out of New York and so forth. And I, my folks are in town. And I was taking them there to show them that. And uh, we, as we walked up, there he was. No kidding. All six foot four, six foot five, whatever he is. And, and very authentic Direct garb. Uh, to, 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 it's something going on with some of the New Jersey uh, state parks. And, and he was there and he introduced himself, of course, as General Washington. And I said, I have a lot of questions for you, General. And, and I was kind of bad because I kind of, I asked him some questions just to see if he knew his stuff first. It's things that I've read and that I knew. Like I said, now, now General uh, Talmadge, he was from Georgia, right? No, no, he was from Connecticut. I said, okay, okay. You know, I, and I kind of tried, and he, was, he knew his stuff. Anyway, this guy was great, and, and we were talking. And as I left, uh, as I was leaving, I said, by the way, General, I want to tell you, that was a great move uh, at Washington High, or at uh, Brooklyn Heights, when you, when you got the, the troops across the East River in, uh, in late, there in, or in, or in mid-1776, and how you got the troops away and, and out of the way of the British. Uh, that was a great move of, of, in the middle of the night, ferrying all the troops across the East River. That was a great move. And uh, he said, you know, thanks. He said, but I have to credit so-and-so, so-and-so. And he m- mentioned three or four people who, who was under his command who, who helped him pull that off. And he says, and you know, if I had had those guys with me at the Second Battle of Trenton, it would have had different results. But he said, I couldn't, I had nobody to row the boats for me at Trenton the second time. And here I'm thinking, General George Washington, greatest general maybe of our history, understood what it means to have, had, people had, let their, had, either, had either deserted or they had let their enlistments expire and they took off. But here's the, and granted, it was a dark time of, of the war, of, of, of the war, Revolutionary War. But here's the greatest general, maybe in history, who, who understood what it meant to be deserted, 
to invest in people and have them just, yeah, we're going home. And that was one of the things he said to me. You know, when a guy starts on his way home, there's not much you can do. Of course, at that time, there wasn't. Obviously, in military code today, is a little different. So we all know what that means, to have lost causes, people, that kind of just leave you. There's another passage in, in the Bible, and I always, you know, I know I say this every Sunday. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and, and I am sincere when I say that, and I just, I guess I just have a lot of favorite passages of Scripture, but this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and I mean that, um, and it, because it, it, it's written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, this around 30-year-old pastor, and, and this is really, it's very touching because it's the last the last writings in the Bible that we have of the Apostle Paul, who wrote half the New Testament. And, and he understands this whole thing of abandonment or, 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 or not, not just abandonment, but, but investing in people who, who they just become what seems to be the lost cause. You don't feel like you saved their life. Watch this, watch this. This is in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Apostle Paul's talking, he's talking to Timothy. Do your best to come to me quickly. Why? For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica or Thessalonica. Crescens has gone Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Check out the dogs. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark, almost got you. The, the, you know, I didn't even get the, the early the nine o'clock so didn't even get that when I said they went to Dalmatia to check out the dog. Never I just went right over the top. So you guys in the in the uh, in the ten fifteen server, you guys get it. All right. Anyway, maybe it's coffee, uh, but anyway, um, Titus goes to to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Now watch this. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Now this is significant. I won't go into detail now. Get Mark and bring him with you. That's John Mark. And there had been a bit of a rub between the Apostle Paul and John Mark several years prior to this writing. And really, what this is really significant in the sense that he's saying, bring John Mark because you know what. I think I owe him an apology. That's what we, many of us believe is, is being implied there because at one time, uh, John Mark had deserted him, but now he realizes that John Mark, there was something else going on, which is always a possibility. Always Luke, only Luke is with me. Get John Mark or Mark, bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent, now he, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. He says, and when you come, it's kind of a little personal note here. When you come, you know, bring that coat that I left in the diner. You know, bring that cloak that I left with, with Carpus at Troas and my books. Bring my books, my scrolls in this case, uh, especially the parchments. And then another thing, Alexander the metal, worker, the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord, and this is in the Bible. How would you like to be Alexander, you know? This is in the Bible for all of history to read. He's a bad guy. I'm like, maybe the guy made it to heaven, and you're thinking he's going around, you know, we go to heaven and we meet Alexander. I I heard about you. What did you do? What did you do, you dirtball? You know, anyway. Alexander the metal worker did me great, great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Verse 16, at my first, watch this, this is, this is, this is, this will cry, this will make you cry. At my first defense, no one came to help my, to my support. Everyone, everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. This is the Apostle Paul. Everybody deserted me. There were people that I invested in, and they were gone. He understood what it means that life will produce 
people in our lives that will seem like and may be, as time will tell, lost causes. That's a part of life. I want you to understand that. I think that the song is significant in bringing that out. This guy, I tried, I tried, and I tried to to be something to him. and, And, you know, it didn't work out. I don't know why. It just didn't. So here's what I want to do. I want to start by just with that and get you to realize if you feel like you, you've tried to help people or you've, you've really tried to pour your life into some people and you feel like, well, that's, that, 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 that one's a lost cause or at least it feels that way, you're not alone. And it might be a friend. It might be someone you work with. It might be a kid. It might be a parent. It might be a neighbor. Could be someone in, used to go to church with. Who knows? But what we need to do is we, 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 need, we need to talk about how do you, how do you save a life? You know? Um, how do you treat those people who at the time seem to be lost causes? How do you treat those folks? And let's add something else into there because some of us here are very concerned about this. How do I effectively share my faith? with someone, whether they're a casual acquaintance or whether someone that I know fairly well, how do I share my faith without coming across in some negative way or being preachy or, 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 or however much faith? How do I share that with someone in an effective manner? How do I do that? There are volumes written on that. Are there, are there four spiritual principles that I can learn that's going to help me with that? Is, is there something, you know, so let's talk about that, all right? And the way, the way we're going to talk about that is we're going to go somewhere else in the Bible. We're going to go to a passage in the Bible and in the Gospels, and you've heard a little bit about it before. I've mentioned it before. Maybe you've heard about it somewhere else. It's in the, the Gospel of John, and it's uh, chapter 8. And let's just jump right into it and show you what's here, all right? It starts in chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. Here we go. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman they had caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. It's kind of awkward, don't you think? A lot of questions we could ask. We're not going to go into it now, but I mean, you know, I'm not an expert on this, but I, I think it takes two. You know, you kind of wonder, what happened to the guy? Is it possible that this, this crowd was so sexist, they just said, ah, oh, it's all the woman's fault? It's very possible. That's very possible. Uh, is it possible that he ran away? That's also very possible. Who could blame him? Um, whatever the situation is, here they are, and they got this woman who's caught in the act of adultery, and here we go. He said, and, and, and here, you know, here they go. They, they, verse 4. Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses, watch this. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? Now, two or three things here very quickly. First of all, there are many times in that what Jesus does, I got to tell you, and I've read through these things, these gospels a few times in my life, I, and I still, I still sometimes read them and like, I can't believe Jesus did that. I mean, it's just so surprising. And, and you know, sometimes we, we wear, and there's nothing wrong with this, but sometimes we, they're, they're, for, they're for a long time, in the 90s, it was real popular to wear a little bracelet called WWJD. What would Jesus do? Some of you still, some people I know still wear those. And I think that's great. 
nothing wrong with that. But here's the, here's the real issue on that. And as long as you're trying to capture Jesus' attitude, I think it's great. The real issue is there are a number of times when Jesus does stuff where I'm like, wow, I can't believe he did that. And this is one of them. And sometimes I'll get into situations and I'll say, I don't know what to do. I got this situation, this situation. And there's always some little, you know, Billy Bible in the crowd that says, well, you just should do what Jesus do. I don't know what Jesus would do. He was God and I'm a very fallen human being. I don't know what he would do. And he could read their hearts. I can't even, I don't even know my own heart sometimes, let alone somebody else's. So that doesn't always work. That's a great, it's a great thing to think about. I try to think about it, but we don't always know. And this is an example. I can't believe what Jesus did. It just blows me away. Really, as many times as ever, I still can't believe it. The other thing that's going on here is these religious leaders of the time, they were trying to trick Jesus. They said, well, what does the law of Moses say we should do with this woman? She was caught in adultery. What do we do? And, and there's two things going on here. Number one, keep in mind, the, the, land, the law of the land was not the law of Moses. The law of the land was what? It was Rome. It was Roman Roman Empire. So here, they're, they're trying to get Jesus either to go against the law of the land, which is the Roman Empire, or they're trying to get him to go against the law of Moses. So it's like, what's, I mean, what can he do? He's stuck. He's between the proverbial, you know, rock and a hard place. Well, next verse, verse 6. They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and rode into the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right. And I think he said it probably like this. All right, stoner. But let those who have never sinned throw the first stones. Right there, I'm like, if you're a Pharisee, if you're a religious leader of the time, you're like, I mean, because you know. Maybe your sins aren't as outward as somebody else's, but you know what goes on in here, if you're honest at all. Great words. Stoner. But let those who have never sinned throw the first stones. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. Watch this. This gets good. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again, and he said to her, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? One of the great mysteries in, in, in the Bible. What did, what did he write? What did he stoop down and write in the dust? that caused each one, beginning with the oldest, to walk away. We have no idea. There are many theories. The theory I like, it's not my theory, but I like it, um, was that maybe he, you know, maybe he did this. Maybe he would write down like an initial, like RT, and then maybe like a date. Or, or, or you know, and you're like, okay, <laughs> I'm out. Or maybe he wrote down, you know, the name of the person, and maybe he, you know, just put a dash and, and put down maybe like an act. Or maybe, maybe he put down the name and they put the, he put down, you know, uh, 1995 IRS returns. No, no I, I don't know what he put. But whatever it was and whatever, whatever happened there, and maybe it was just the words that he said, let, let, let those who have never sinned throw the first stones. Whatever it was, people start peeling off one by one until nobody's left. 
Now watch what he says. Last thing Jesus says. Because he says, Jesus stood up again and said to her, what are your, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Here, here, no Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. And he says something amazing. Go and sin no more. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, hey, I'm okay, you're okay. He didn't say, well, you know, that's your truth and that's okay, you can do that. Didn't say that. He never excused what she did. You know, he never judged her. Now, now be careful with this. This is really important. Because whenever we start talking, you know, we, people always say, the Bible says, judge not. It's in John, it's, excuse me, it's in Matthew 7, in Matthew 7, 1, if you want to look it up. Somebody says, judge not lest you be judged. And the Bible does say that, and it means it. But you know what? That doesn't mean that we don't have a value, a sense of what's right and wrong. We don't judge people, but it doesn't mean that if their actions are wrong, that we say, oh, I can't judge. I can't judge them. Judging would be, you're a horrible person. Judging would be, you're a terrible person, and because of this, you're going, you're going to bust the gates of hell wide open. That's judging. Okay? And, and, and maybe, maybe you might think that. Maybe you might say that. I hope you don't mean it. Um, but that's judging. But judging does not mean that, well, everything's okay, whatever you want. And Jesus never says that because he does say, go and sin no more. So he's recognizing, what you did was wrong. But don't do it anymore. So he's not, he's not judging her. He's not excusing it. He's not rationalizing it. But he is treating her with kindness and with compassion. And, 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 and you know, treating her with value. That's an amazing thing. Here's, here's a woman caught doing something that, that according to that law and really most laws of civilization, you, you just don't do. And if you do, you, you seek for forgiveness and so forth. And here, and here he is. He's treating her with value. You ever done something wrong and you knew you were wrong? Maybe it was a horrible thing. Maybe it wasn't so horrible, but it was still wrong. And, 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 yet, and then somebody comes into your life and they just treat you with value. That's huge. That's what Jesus did. So here it is. Here it is. Real quick. How do I save a life? I mean, I'm this is the myth. This is the message. It's just a couple minutes. How, how do I save a life? And I'm going to give you, you know, I'm going to give you three things, three thoughts. And, and really, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you this ahead of time. They're all the same thought, just worded differently. Okay? Um, how to save a life. Remember this. All people are created in God's image. All people are created in God's image. Second thing. No one's sin is worse than another's. That's a hard thing for us to grasp in our society because some things are, you know, some sins are socially acceptable. Have one too many drinks, well, that's one thing. Getting heroin, that's, that's another deal. You know, sleeping around with a whole bunch of different men and women, that's a whole different deal. No one's, and, and listen, that doesn't mean there aren't different consequences. I realize that. There are certain, you know, there's, there, there's, there's certain sins you could commit one time, one time, and you go to prison the rest of your life. You understand that. So I'm not saying there aren't different consequences for different things. I have, we used to have a couple here, and, um, and they really try, 
they they tried hard. They both came from a Christian background. That's not funny. I'm laughing, but they laughed about it at the time. And they were trying to get married, and they were going to try to get married before they ever had any kind of uh, sexual relationships. And they slipped one time. One time. She got pregnant. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, they, they did the right thing. They got married. Um, so, but my point is this. We, we, we want to classify different kinds of sins. No one sin is worse than another. None's better, none's greater, none's worse. And, and what we like to do is we like to look at other people's, and we like to talk about them, we like to gossip about them, at th- those that are worse, at least that we think are worse, even though they're not. And we talk about them, you know, we talk about O.J. or, 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 or Brittany or something, we're like, oh, they're terrible individuals. And, of course, it makes us feel better about ourselves. I never do anything like that, you know. You know, I will challenge you on something. I, I don't do this every time, but I do it a lot, actually. It's one of the, one of the things I do right sometimes. Um, whenever you see something like that, you know, and you can't escape some of this stuff. I don't care whether it's OJ or Brittany or the latest celebrity, you know, problem, Deju or whatever it happens to be. You know, when you see that or you walk by that in the grocery store or it comes on the news or whatever, just pray for them. You ever think about that? Just pray for them. Don't condemn them. Don't think, oh, they're terrible individuals. God help that person. They really need some help. I don't, first of all, you don't know what's true and what's not true. You know that. But whatever, I'm sure whoever they are, they need prayer. No one sin is worse than another's. And we have, a, we have this great thing of being able to look at some who, who display it or who do it or have done this, and, and, and yet, and yet maybe, maybe ours isn't quite as visible, but we can be just as sinful, just as bad, maybe more so, but it's all on the inside. That doesn't mean it's better in God's eyes. So how am I going to save a life? Remember, all people are created in God's image. No one's sin is worse than another's. Here's the third thing. Treat people as valuable. In God's eyes. Treat people as valuable in God's eyes because they are and you are. It's, it's easy to forget that sometimes. Somebody told me after the, uh, one of the services this morning, somebody told me that they try to practice that, treating people as valuable. They said, and you know where I do it the most? And this is, I thought this was really kind of cool. They said, whenever I'm in an airport, and you know how that is. It's just a sea of people sometimes. And I said, whenever I'm in an airport, I try just to look and think, every one of these people are equally valuable to God. That's challenging, I can imagine. But, but it's true. And that's, that's, a, that's a great exercise. Try that for some of, you, some of you flying out tonight or tomorrow morning. Good challenge for you. Treat people as valuable in God's eyes because they are. So there are three things, real simple, all right? Remember, all people are created in God's image. No one is sins worse than another. Treat people as valuable in God's eyes. You see, and here's the thing, whether you're talking about any one of those, that's why Jesus came. Because I needed it. Let alone this other poor stiff over here. I needed it. I needed Jesus to come and, and live and suffer and die. And thank God rise from the dead. That I could have Forgiveness for my sins that are just like anybody else's. I'm that valuable to God. You are that valuable to God. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. When you remember that, it just changes. 
It just changes a lot of things about you. So here you go. Three things. Three things. How are you going to save a life? You remember all, all people are created in God's image. No sin's worse than another. Treat people as valuable in God's eye. So that, now you stop and you say, okay, Rich, you still haven't told me how to help the hurting. You haven't told me how to be a comfort to that guy that, that, that Isaac, Jacob, or Abraham, whatever his name was talking about earlier. Okay? You still haven't told me how to do that. You haven't told me how to do that. You still haven't told me, you, know, you still haven't told me how to deal with those people who you, who you think, who seem like they're pretty much lost causes, at least right now in your life. You haven't told me how to do that. And you certainly haven't really told me how to really share my faith with anybody. You haven't told me how to do that. And I would say to you, you let these three things just be implanted into your DNA just written, the Bible puts it written on your heart. And you will be the greatest comfort that anybody would, will ever have. You will be the most effective person of sharing your faith than anybody could ever be. Simply by what and who you are. By remembering everybody's created in God's image. No one sin is worse than another. I'm not going to look down on anybody. And, and I'm going to treat every person as valuable in God's eyes because they are. You, that, that will make you the most effective sharer of your faith, comfort to the hurting, helper of those who seem like lost causes that will ever be. That will make you what God wants you to be as you seek to do that. That's it. That's it. See, there aren't any steps to do? No. It's B. With those things that are part of, part of my internal hard drive right there. Let's ask God to let's ask God to just write that on our hearts and on our consciousness right now. God, do help us to remember. And sometimes it's difficult that all people are created by you and in your image. Help us not to look down on anyone because no one's sin is worse than another's. We're all right there made out of the same stuff. God, I pray that we would treat people as valuable in your eyes because we are. Because that's why you, that's why you gave us Jesus. That's why he came and lived and suffered and died and rose again. To give us that forgiveness and that ability to have life with you. I pray, God, that you'd make these things just, just a vital part of who we are. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.